0: Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. This morning is 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write for you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one.
1: I recently finished a, a, uh, I guess it's a fantasy novel series, the title of which I never pronounce correctly and always have to ask someone for help, but I think it's something like Raiyera, Raiyera, Raiyera Revelations, you know, it's like elves and swordsmen and knights and wizards, all sorts of fun stuff by a guy named Michael J. Sullivan, but in sort of the world of this mythology and this fun, uh, he tells the story of one particular character named Turin who committed an egregious sin, and as reparations for his egregious act, uh, he is a god, and he walks, comes to earth and walks the world of men um, in an attempt to sort of uh, earn his way back to right standing right he he in response to uh the life he had lived he walks the world of men doing acts of kindness to undo sort of the sin of his past and for every act of kindness he does another in this sort of pantheon of characters uh drops a feather from heaven or from the skies uh, such that over the course of his life once he's sort of accumulated enough Uh, feathers. He can return. He will have made good what um, had been wrong. We've been in a series in First Thessalonians the last few weeks, and much gratitude to Braden and Tyler for continuing that conversation with you the last couple of weeks so beautifully. But in this series, we've picked up the same questions week after week. What does the Christian faith look like in context? What what does it mean specifically uh, to sort of live your faith in the places that you are? Uh, particularly when, when your faith creates tension uh, in those places, when it feels incompatible. You know, is it possible for your faith to survive and thrive in a world that is indifferent or sometimes hostile at worst? And then what does a church community look like that keeps that kind of vision alive? And, and I think one of the places we feel sort of these questions, where, where these questions find some footing, is in the conversation of holiness, again is a loaded word and I'm not going to offer sort of a clear definition outside of in this moment that it's this sort of movement this growth in us where we begin to reflect God's character as holy in the world and particularly in a world that has little regard for this concern why bother and it's in that tension of sort of Us, you know, trying to live into the character of God where we feel perhaps the the, the poignancy of questions like, does my Christian faith make sense here? How do I live it in this place where I work and live and play in this political atmosphere, in uh, this neighborhood, uh, in this context? It's a central theme in the passage Emily read for us this morning. Right at the start of chapter 4, he says, Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Walking and pleasing God. We know we're in the world of holiness here the continued shaping of their character as early Christians, this first community of Christ's followers were in the world of holiness that is a familiar one in the stories of Scripture, uh, walking and pleasing God. And I wonder if sometimes in this conversation we don't approach it like Turin from the Ryeria revelations. Ryeria. Got it. Right? It's been a struggle. I wonder if, like, this isn't sort of even culturally, if we think about God at all, but even in our, sometimes in our Christian faith, right, that we we, we kind of go through life, if I can do enough good, you know, earn enough sort of metaphorical feathers. When I was a kid, it was jewels in my crown, right? If, If I can like earn enough feathers, I'll make it right in the end, right? I'll progress enough on this path of holiness, I'll be okay. Enough good at least to kind of outweigh the bad, right? Uh, and, and our reading this morning, I think it speaks to that uh, pull in us. I think it helps to clarify the, the question in the conversation, helps to see it more clearly. And we're going to attempt an, an answer, I suppose, this morning. We're going to do it this way. I'm just going to start with a couple of general observations about holiness that the passage pulls us into. And then it gives us two concrete expressions that we'll look at briefly. And then we'll finish with just, a, uh, again, another sort of general Uh, observation as to why perhaps it matters I I, uh, also uh, not not too long ago uh, had had, had, uh, fought my way through uh, Charles Dickens Copperfield and there's a a, a moment in the story when uh, Copperfield is talking about his career uh, and he's you know he's I think he works in law and he's like writing and he says you know talking about his work endeavors I wallow in words and I thought man that is how I deal every Sunday (laughs) Uh, but I have particularly felt it this week, thinking about holiness. How do you even talk about it? Uh, sometimes I'm like, I say lots of words, but I, I don't know if it's any clearer. I, I think uh, with our reading this morning, just generally, uh, the one observation is that it's a call. God calls, right? it's, a, it's a call to holiness. The word in our reading, was one One of the words is sanctification, kind of being made holy, being made more like God. And it's all over the pages of Scripture, Old and New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing, although it comes through pretty clearly there. Uh, but over and over again, you, in all types of writings in Scripture, we hear the call. Be holy like I am holy. Be holy like your Father in heaven. Be perfect as your Father in heaven. It is a refrain, a call that is, just resonates through the pages of Scripture. And in each of those instances, as we'll see even this morning, a, a, an aspect of that is it's a being sort of set apart, a distinction. It's, it marks uh, people at every turn in this journey. It marks them as the people of God, reflecting his character distinctly uh, in a world that perhaps looks and feels differently. Our reading this morning sh- sharpens it just a little bit. I think the first, maybe, or one, not the first, because I've said some other things already. Those were first. So it's this, I don't know what number this is. It's one of the numbers. But uh, is it, in, in the first verse, which we read already, it talks about uh, walking. I think holiness involves your walk. It, in, it involves your walk. And I think the imagery of walking is helpful uh, here. On the one hand, I think it speaks to me of the slowness of holiness, right? It's not a sprint, it's not a, you know, you have, like, done all the stuff, and you're just going to, like, muscle your way through it. It's, it's a, a walk. It's slow. I also think it speaks to the routineness of holiness, right? It, it happens in the sort of ordinary places of our lives, right? You just, the, the rhythm and routine of walking speaks to this sort of just natural movement but also in our passage uh, paul says he's like you guys are already doing these things you're walking and you're pleasing god but interestingly he doesn't say great job you made it he says oh keep going more and more which i think is interesting your your walk it's 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 slow it's routine and and you don't arrive right you you just you keep walking You're already doing it, he says, but keep going. So your walk is one aspect of holiness. But in our reading this morning, there's another, I think, significant uh, aspect to it. And it's in verse 3. He says, this is how Paul puts it, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Another like $10 word. You're being made holy. This is the will of God. It's your walk. But it's God's will. And, and, and it's an interesting way to put it. And, you know, loads of folks have written about it. You know, there is a sense in which it's God's will in that it's what he commands, right? It's his instruction. It's his desire that you live this way. But it's also his will in the sense it's what he decrees. He wills it to happen. Holiness in you is his will, his will. His working out in you a clearer and clearer reflection of his character to the world. I think one way that helps us see that is its context. We didn't read it this morning. Uh, Braden reflected on it a bit with you last week, but but at the end of chapter three, it finishes with a benediction that will dismiss us from church this morning, uh, this moment as a community. And he says, in this moment, Paul it says that the Lord, that the Lord would make you increase, make you abound in love, that He would establish your hearts blameless in holiness. It's His will his work in you more than it is something we achieve and he'll finish the letter in the same spot he'll say something very similar just rephrase it but it'll be the same refrain it's god's work in you his willing in you that makes you holy so then as we as we sit with this sort of general thought the question of god's will and of your walk and how those two sort of happen together I think it's an interesting one and and I think it helps you know it speaks to some misconceptions we we have at times about what God is like and about what our response to him ought to be one of those is I think sometimes God is like he's up there with like a checklist and he's a taskmaster and like you you know he's impossible to please it feels perhaps arbitrary or just overtly, like, s- strong-handed. Andre Agassi, in his memoir, Open, writes about hating tennis over and over again. He's like, I hated tennis. And uh, it seems as though, at least upon his reflection, a part of that was the nature of his relationship with his father and the way in which his father pushed and drove and, and uh, uh, forced, perhaps, the issue in his life. But he described a moment Uh, Having come through that as a young person, and I think it was his first Grand Slam he had won, he called his dad. He called his dad on the phone from some distance, and his dad said there was a pause. And then his dad, his first remark, after a lifetime of sort of working to this moment, having finally reached a Grand Slam victory, his dad said, you had no business losing that fourth set. Right? I think sometimes, this is the image, whether we articulate it or not, of holiness and God. Right, it's just, it's, it's hard and sometimes arbitrary, and it's just impossible to please him. I, I also think maybe the other end of the spectrum is true, that he doesn't really care about it. Why does it matter if he's all love or if he's forgiving or my behavior is really ir- irrelevant? In our passage, the Thessalonians, another f- the aspect of it was that, that the belief is like, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, so, you know, you know <laughs> like, uh, let's have some fun, right? Like, um, which is interesting, right? Why bother? I, uh, we, were watching, we were watching disc golf this uh, weekend with one of my children, and one of the players was... Uh, was in the woods. There's the trees everywhere. And he, like, he threw it through the trees. My kid turned around, other people in the room, and was like, oh, you would have failed at that, right? I was like, what? (laughs) Punk? (laughs) Let's go outside right now, right? uh, But, you know, you're like, "Eh." she's probably right. I throw a disc in the top of a tree one time, and it's like, well, you know, this guy. Right? But, but I think sometimes that's sort of the other end of our feelings around holiness. Well, you know, it's either unattainable or why does it matter? So what, what's the point? But I want to suggest in our reading this morning that Paul gives us this really beautiful picture. That it's not just about sort of abstaining from things or sort of tamping fun or, uh, you know, like this sort of moral fault checklist. It's, it's a positive thing. It's, it's being called into a positive reflection of the image of God in which we were created. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, puts it like this. It's a, sh- it's a shining reflection in human character when we learn and practice what it means to be in God's image. Another author says "It's, it's holiness is this positive move to live in sync with who God is and how he acts. It's, it's a, a positive an invitation, Esau Macaulay writes, to to see the beauty of life with God, a beauty that, that it's been obscured by all kinds of compromises and confusion, and yet to know that He wills it for you, and calls us into it, and all we do is walk. So in, in our passage, some general thoughts, but he gives two concrete expressions um, and one of them is to abstain from sexual immorality. And I thought, I've been out for two weeks and I gotta come back to this passage. I should have left this one for Braden or Tyler, but you know, we're here, so I'm just gonna wallow in my words for a moment and then move forward. But it's interesting in this reflection on holiness, how sort of physical it gets. It's just very practical. In this first example, it's a sexual ethic. In the next one, it's, you might call it a work ethics or how we relate to work and spaces of life. In, in the next chapter, we'll consider a moment, it's death. And, and that the call to live within and reflect God's character uh, touches all of these, affects all of these spheres, really practical spheres of life. He says, I tell you this, you've been called into this to abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother or sister in this matter because the Lord is the Avenger. (laughs) Again, man, I don't know if like, anyway, just picturing him like, anyway, all right, we should stop. (laughs) Uh, So just some, uh, just uh, again, just, I just want to, there's a lot we could say obviously here, but I don't want us to think about it as sort of a, a a parallel, an example um, of this broader theme of the invitation to live holy. Right, the the, the scholars agree that in in this context of sexual morality, certainly closely present is uh, idol worship. Uh, um, uh, Prostitution and and sort of a a, uh, self-gratifying move would have been a part of uh, idol worship. And we know from the start of the letter that Paul says, you have turned from idols and you are serving God, and so there's a real world application here that now they're going to live differently and it will affect this aspect of their life, but there's also general consensus that it's a broader sort of move as well, right? That your self-expression or self-gratification or self-fulfillment even sexually is not the bottom line. That now, because of God and Christ, because of the invitation to live into uh, his image and who has created uh, you to, to be us, to be now, the, the conversation has changed. No longer is sort of your fulfillment, uh, your drive, what, what ultimately leads to, to, to human flourishing. God's design and invitation and call are what take you there. And to just sort of cave to my own uh, self-gratification is to distort my understanding of God, but also of myself and the people around me. It's interesting here what Paul says, and he'll make, I want to suggest, he'll make the same move about work. Now, the first thing he says is like, when it comes to sort of a sexual ethic, he says it's, it, it's it, what changes it is knowing God, right? It was that phrase, he says, uh, you, you don't just sort of follow your passions, the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, right? The implication is that knowing him changes you. But, but it starts here, kind of knowing God, his character, what he's like leads to change. But then the, the parallel, a move he makes here is in the next verse, right? So on the one hand, you, you now live differently. You're not driven by self-fulfillment in the same way as the people around you. You know God. And then in verse 6, he says also that in this expression, you do not transgress or wrong your brother or sister. It's an interesting move, right? That even when it comes to holiness around this really practical space of human sexuality, that it starts with knowing God and it and it moves in the space of concern for others, right? Uh, Again, Macaulay, Esau Macaulay is helpful for me here. This picture of holiness in this passage specifically is a vision for life, where we're prone to sort of self-indulgent appetites and ways oftentimes that leads to the exploitation of other people, he says. We hear an invitation to a different kind of life here, holiness like God, which would never do that. It's a common reading this passage during the season of Lent, when we come face to face with our human brokenness and frailty. And in this passage, holiness is spoken of in terms of control and not being consumed, but in a way that is driven by or motivated by a concern for others. It's not an arbitrary sort of moral box. God ticks. It's an invitation. It's a human flourishing we grow so in fact, we're going to try to summarize we grow in holiness when we grow in love love for god when we get to know him and then love for others these things happen together but but again sort of this space of sexual morality isn't the only space we'll briefly consider where he goes next in verses 9 10 11 and 12 he he talks about loving one another, and then he, it just—it seems like an abrupt jump, right? Don't be sexually immoral. Also, live quietly before your neighbors. Mind your own affairs. Do the hard work. Work with your hands as you've been instructed. Uh, right? It just feels like a, like an abrasive sort of shift. But then, then you sit with it, and you're like, he's making the same move. Right? He's making the same move. It, it, it not only applies to sort of sexuality. It applies to this really practical space as well starts with knowing God. You yourselves, he said, have been taught by God. You, you know him. You are getting to know him uniquely in Jesus. You are seeing and have seen him differently. Knowing God. And then that changes you. And now there's a concern for others. Now you love one another. Now you bear witness to the world. Very similar move, although it's a totally different Sphere of life, right? We grow in holiness. We reflect God's character when we grow in love. Love for Him, we know Him, which leads to love for others. And when those things are happening, when God is drawing those things out of us, we bear witness, He says, to the world, a testimony to the world around us. I loved how, uh, I can't remember where I read it, but someone put it like this that when love takes a high profile, among God's people, and we're all about high profile people culturally, but uh, he says actually the gospel flips that when love takes a high profile among God's people, they assume a low and humble profile before one another, before others. Love for God, knowing him, as opposed to not knowing him, as the passage says, has real world implications. For those guys, it was idol worship and all of its attendant practices formally characterized their lives. For you and me, it's something perhaps different. But the truth is the same. Knowing and loving God changes us. Life is now characterized by by a God-willed and a Jesus-enabled and modeled and a Holy Spirit-empowered consideration of others. As Braden observed last week in Philippians 2, Paul tells us Jesus did nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consideration of others, even you. Which brings me to the close. Why does it matter? Why bother? I heard someone express once, uh, like the opposite of holiness might be bombarding others with the self you know, is interesting, right? Uh, Like, it's self-regard is sort of driving your life, self-fulfillment, self-gratification, all these things that, uh, that's sort of the opposite of holiness, and that, you know, that is sort of the bottom line. Another way of putting it might be defensiveness, right? When we realize our frailty and are resistant to that revelation, maybe the opposite of holiness. Holiness is dependence. We know God more, are more aware of our need, uh, and that changes us. And in that moment of need, we see him in Jesus beautifully, and we find grace and forgiveness, and that changes us and leads us into love for others. There's probably a lot of other things I could say, but I would just be wallowing, so I'm going to wrap it up, I think. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably some, I wrote some really good things in here. But you know, I'm just gonna skip ahead. Uh, I shouldn't tell you that. I always hated it when preachers like externally verbalized these kinds of things. And here I am, man. Let me take it back to Andre Agassi. You know, if all it spells good tennis illustration, right? Um, he described a moment earlier in his life. He was like, well, at one point he was a nine-year-old, and at their local tennis club. His dad, uh, Jim Brown, the former NFL player, was a member of that club and was playing tennis. And uh, his dad wagered a $10,000 bet on Agassi as a nine-year-old, that he would beat him. And Agassi talked about the sort of what that does to a person, right? Like, uh, particularly a nine-year-old. It didn't pan out, because Jim Brown saw how good he was and, like, backed out. But uh, he just, again, that sort of pressing, driving presence in his life. But he described a moment, it was still as a young kid, he had won some kind of, like, junior uh, not one, he had played in a kind of junior tournament. And uh, he didn't win, and obviously his dad was mad. Uh, but he did get a sportsmanship trophy, right? He Tells the story, he got a sportsmanship trophy. And he was mad at not winning, you know, that was in him now. And he, I think he described like riding in the back seat, And because he knew it was what his dad wanted to hear, he was like, I don't even want the stupid trophy. Yeah. And uh, he said, his dad pulled over, got out, took the trophy and smashed it and then picked up the largest piece and smashed it again. But right? it wasn't enough. He wasn't enough. He wasn't happy. I, I, uh, I, th- I think I'm going to connect this to holiness. But I, I think sometimes we think of holiness as kind of a trophy s- ceremony. Right? We can achieve if we can do enough. We think if we know God, well, then we should know better. and That's kind of the way we approach. And we, we lay that expectation on other people too. They should know better. And one sort of much more healthy and wholesome sense, I think wholeness is kind of a trophy, uh, trophy smashing ceremony. God says, all that stuff you bring to the table, it's best and it's worst. Know me, he says. Know me. Know me. Know my character. Know who I am. Know me as you have never known me before in Jesus and you will be changed. We, we think it's an achievement we accomplish God says, it's a gift that I work in you. A gift. As, as Tyler considered just a couple of weeks ago, right? Like, There's always this underlying sort of motivation. What, what is happening at the heart level, in the secrecy that, that drives us at times can feel so out of line? What's the only thing that can change that space? God says it's not your achievement. It's not your progress. You don't grow away from uh, God and more independent. Look, I am more holy. You walk, yes, and you keep walking, yes, but you keep walking back to Jesus, Paul says. It's through Jesus Christ, he said in our reading. So we grow in holiness when we grow in love, loving him, coming into contact with his character and presence more and more changes us and we grow in love bearing witness to the world
0: thank you for listening to the park city church podcast to learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc